Good job. Once more, welcome to all of you in the overflow. God bless you. Open your Bibles with us to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in Perry, Oklahoma. Pastor Brian Ahern, love you. Praying for you guys through this season. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. We're going through a, a sermon series entitled Everything Matters from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in worship. It's also in our small group Bible studies. Today you'll be looking at a lesson on worship written by our worship leader Andrew Causey at 10 o'clock, so don't miss that opportunity. Ecclesiastes is, is a very, very rich book of scripture. It's also sometimes a little bit depressing, confusing. Uh, some of you have already told me you really uh, don't get it. Uh, not sure that you've ever really understood what Ecclesiastes is about. Honestly, Ecclesiastes is a very strange book written from a very unique perspective. It's, a, it's an under-the-sun perspective, under heaven. In other words, the, the wise preacher, the wise teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes is describing life as it seems to us, and especially life apart from God, life under heaven. And so for that reason, as we read it as believers, sometimes we get confused or a little thrown off by this language of everything being meaningless and life being like a vapor that's here and then just gone. He talks about death sometimes in a very dark way, but because that's how we live, that's how it seems. And honestly, sometimes it really does seem pointless. It just seems pointless, meaningless, and that's what he continues to say. However, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 becomes very important. This is the, the, the glittering jewel. This is the centerpiece of this book because this is the place where he undoes everything else he said about life having no meaning. It sort of comes together and falls apart right here in, in, in chapter 3. One year after vacation Bible school here at church, we rented one of those big inflatable moon bounces. You know what I'm talking about, old people? Uh, uh, kids get in in sock feet. Uh, we blow the thing up, you know, gigantic, and they go in through the little slit, and, and then they jump around. Uh, we have to let them in in cycles because you can't have every kid in the church jumping at the same time. So typically, uh, you stand here. I, I often have that job. I stand at the door. I make all the kids line up in their sock feet, and I let them in about 10 or 12 at a time so they can jump without cracking skulls. Th that, that's my goal. So this particular day, I was with the preschoolers, itty-bitty ones here at church, and they were all standing in line in their sock feet, and, and they were sort of terrified. You know how it is to be little like that, this gigantic inflatable moon bounce, and kids go in, and, and, and it's just great. So the kids are standing here. I would put them in one at a time, about 10 or 12 in, 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 the, in the bounce, and they would slide in on their bellies, and they'd just get in. They're, they're little. And, and while this should be a whole lot of fun, they're not sure at first. You, you know what I'm talking about? So all the little preschoolers, they go in in their sock feet, that they sort of look around and they just sort of, they just sort of, you know, stand in there and, and do this for a while, or, or they just sort of stand or, or look or you know suck their hand or whatever. They just stood there, and the longest time, this is what they do. They just sort of are in there and just a, a little bit, but not real sure. But, but it's interesting, but because there's always a point where I would open the curtain, stick my head in, and I would say three more minutes. Because you can't stand there all day, understand? Somebody else has to come in. They have to come out. So I say, three more minutes. And when I say three more minutes, what happens? It goes crazy in there. When I say three more minutes, and it's, ah, they're jumping. They're doing somersaults. And they're begging me, can we stand here longer? Can we say, please, three more minutes, three more minutes? No, no, three minutes. That's really how your life is. 
You understand this? This is how your life is. And very truly, we need somebody every now and then to stick their head in and say, you don't have all the time in the world. Time's running out. And this is precisely what the preacher in Ecclesiastes does here in chapter 3. He reminds us that, that time, time is our most valuable possession. And it runs out. You with me? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Verse 1. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, and a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve. A time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to give up searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear. A, a time to, to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded that there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as, as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What's happening now has happened before. And what will happen in the future has happened before. Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Go back with me to verse 1. Keep your Bibles open. You're going to need your Bibles all day today. Verse 1. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. The words, he's writing in Hebrew and we're reading in English. So sometimes understand something's lost in translation. There are often Hebrew words that say what English words won't say. And we're in one of those situations here. So we're using words that, that translate, but they don't really capture the, the main sense. We don't have an English word, for example, for the word where he says season or, or, or time. What the preacher is really saying here, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is that there's, it's not just a time or a season. The word there means that there's an appointed time. That there is a scheduled, a planned out, an appointed time. There is an appointed time for every activity. Again, we need a word for that, and we don't really have a word. But the closest word is probably not activity. That captures it. But really, the word there has to do with purpose. In other words, there is an, an appointed time for every purpose under heaven. 
Now stop and think about that. Stop and think about what that verse is saying because that's a very important verse. It might be the most important verse in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Up to this point, the preacher keeps saying that everything is meaningless. Life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's gone so quickly. It it doesn't make sense. It seems pointless apart from God. What what, what is there? What what is the burden of life? He just continues to ask about meaning and and purpose. But in in chapter 3, it's at this point where he really begins to come back around to the purpose and of all things, what he says right here in chapter 3 is that there is, there's a purpose. There is an appointed time for everything. Now, do you understand? Do you understand how when he says that, all of a sudden, everything else he said begins to sort of take on a, a different kind of depth of meaning? Because if what he's saying here is true in chapter 3, what he's literally saying is there's nothing random about this life. It seems random. It sometimes seems like there's just no way to connect the dots and and make any meaning out of all of this mess. But in chapter 3, he says, truly, there is an appointed time for everything. Nothing's happening randomly here. And there's not a thing happens that's pointless, that that is without purpose. There is an appointed time and and, and an, an appointed purpose for everything that happens under heaven. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. But it goes beyond that. From there on, there's this wonderful poem, and it's sort of based on this list, this series of opposites. Time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time to peace. It goes through all of these opposites. And typically, in in the past, when you've read this, like me, you've probably just thought of these as as human activities, that that this is a poem that describes all the different things that a person can end up doing, and and the poem is saying that there's a time and place for everything that we do. That's probably not the place to start in understanding Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What you and I have to understand is is that these are not simply human activities, gathering stones and and mending and tearing. That's not really what the scripts are saying here. These are not first human activities. These are first divine activities. You understand? These are things God does. And this is what you have to understand. These are God's activities. These are God's purposes. These are God's appointed times. We're talking about God here first. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 wants you and me to wrap our heads around God's purposes, God's activity. What kind of a God are we talking about? What kind of life is it that we're living? It all goes back to this God and what he does and when he does it. His timing's perfect. And these activities describe the God that scripture points out and, and, and paints and portrays. Now, when I say that and then you read chapter 3, you're probably going to get a little bit nervous because we're not used to thinking of a God who does all of these things. A time to be born and a time to to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, what? And a time to heal, a time for war, a time for peace, a time for love, a time for hate. Does God hate? Actually, Until you understand what kind of God that the Bible is actually portraying, until you really understand this fuller picture of who God is, you're never going to understand God, and therefore you're never going to understand your life. It starts with God. 
So take your Bibles, walk through some scriptures with me. Turn back first to Psalm 139. This is going to be a few pages back. Psalm 139, 13. If I'm saying that a time to be born, a time to die, these are activities of God, then understand, trace it back. Look at what Psalm 139, verse 13 says about birth. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. God did that. God does that. Birth belongs to God. God knit me together. God knit you together. Can you even begin to fathom that? That means that any baby inside a mother's womb, there's no accident there. You understand? It's not a choice. It's a life. It's a life that God has chosen. It's a life that God is knitting together. And when God is in the process of bringing birth, you don't interfere with that. You understand? These are activities that God is involved in. Job, turn back a few more pages. Job chapter 14, verse 5. I don't know if you'll like this one or not. But you don't get to vote on it. Job chapter 14, verse 5. If birth is in the hands of God, then what about death? You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live. Months? I wish he'd said years or decades. You know how many months we will live. And we are not given a minute longer. All that bran you're eating? Understand? You're not given... A minute longer. Birth and death. These are in the hands of God. But again, you read this list and and, and there's some very destructive, very harsh words. A time for love. I don't need to show you verses about how God loves. You know that God loves. But can you even imagine that God hates? That Does God hate? Uh, Turn back. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16. Proverbs 6 verse 16 probably a reason we don't read all these verses. Proverbs 6.16. Say it with me. There are six things the Lord hates. Okay, six things. And while we're at it, no, actually there are seven. That's what the scripture says. Six things the Lord hates, actually seven. Here we go. Haughty eyes. What's that? Haughty eyes. Haughty. What's that word mean? Pride, prideful eyes. God hates pride. Yeah. A lying tongue. Oops. God hates your lying tongue. Let's keep going. Hands that kill the innocent. Remember birth and death. These belong to God. We don't have that place prerogative to kill. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil. Feet that race to do what? Wrong. Feet that race to do wrong. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who sows discord in a family. Right there, your crazy uncle, verse 19, he's there. A person who sows discord in a family. Seven things that the Lord hates. So you were thinking that God was just this this God of sunshine and butterflies that is always good and always positive. I'm telling you, he is always good. 
and all of his ways are perfect. But he is a God of love and a God of hate. He is a God of, of mercy, but he's also a God of wrath. One more verse, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Underline this one. This one's good. So good. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me. I am the one who, say the word, kills. I am the one who kills and gives life. I am the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. I am the one who wounds. Would God wound me? I mean, this is the truth of the scripture. Would God wound me? Would God do anything that would cause me suffering in this life? I am the one who wounds and heals. You better believe it. Why would God do that? Why would God allow me to, to suffer in this life? Why would God give me any bad days? The truth of the matter is God will wound me in this life, in this temporary, momentary life. I may suffer God may allow me to be wounded in this life so that I may enjoy his pleasures forever in the life to come. Do you understand? It's much, much better to experience the sorrow in this life than to experience eternal sorrow in the life to come. Do you get that part? So God says, I am the one. I am the one who wounds and heals. I am the one from whose powerful hand no one can be rescued. Wow, now go back to Ecclesiastes with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. These are actions of God. These are the purposes of God. So the preacher in Ecclesiastes wants you to understand that in this very short, very brief life, there's really nothing that doesn't matter. There's really not a single moment that isn't somehow carved out with purpose. There's not a day that you live that's simply yours to waste. You see, you've been thinking that your life was more or less yours to plan out. You were thinking that you were free every single day to just wake up and, and set your own agenda. You were thinking that you had choices to make, and indeed you do, but you were imagining that, that your life is what you make it. You were thinking that you got, you know, your junior in high school, you got another year to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And, and you understand, you're thinking all wrong. You're not understanding what your life is about. There is an appointed time, and you're not the one who makes the appointments. You understand? There is an appointed time for every purpose, and you're not the one who decides what the purpose is. You're not in that position. It is God and God alone who decides what and when. And he has already done all the deciding. That's the point. And that's the meaning of your life. Okay, now, now follow this. This is where meaning is found. You, you were thinking that, that God's going to show you the meaning of life in some vast and grand vision. And therefore, you're going to see it from here all the way to the end. And that's not how it happens. It never happens that way in Scripture. You're seeking God's will and God's purpose for, for your life, and you want a gigantic big picture. You want the whole map drawn out with, you know, you are here, and this is where you're going. But it doesn't work that way. 
It, it never works that way. If you want to find God's purpose for your life, your task is to find God's purpose for this present moment, this present season. You need to know what God is doing in your life right now, this moment. And then you put yourself in the middle of that, what God is doing right now. You cooperate, you participate, you submit to what God is doing right now. Here's the thing. If I am in God's will in this present moment, I don't have to worry about the future moment. If I'm in God's will today, then he already has my tomorrow. I'll be in God's will tomorrow. I don't have to have every step of the way mapped out. I don't have to have the grand vision. All I need to know is, God, what are you wanting to do in my life right now? What's the very next step for me? What are you doing now? So go back to chapter 3 with me. This is what I want you to do in this sermon. This is what I want you to do right now. We're going to read back through this, and you ask God to show you what is he doing in your life right now. What is the purpose of this present moment? What does he have for you? What's the point? Okay? For everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet. A time to speak. A time to love. A time to hate. A time for war. A time for peace. So what what time is it for you? I, I would go so far as to say that the frustration you're feeling in your life right now, or maybe the boredom that you're feeling in your life right now, the sense of meaningless or, or pointlessness or, or lostness, what it comes down to is that, is that God has this season set aside for, for something else, but, but you don't you don't know what that is. You're not in that. And you must find out what God has for you and put yourself in the middle of that. Do you understand? What I'm saying is if, if this is supposed to be a, a time of, of things being born in your life, if this is supposed to be a time of things beginning, then you can't be going through as if this is a time to, to end things. Do you understand? You've got to be in sync with what God is doing in your life. If this is supposed to be a time of pruning in your life, a time of tearing things out and putting things away, you can't be clinging to things. You understand? Do you see what this means? This means that in your life right now, this might be a time when you need to cut loose with some relationships that, that you're very invested in. There may be people in your life that you're very attached to, but those relationships are gone. It's time for you now to, to separate from those people. Do you understand? You can't be clinging to what God is trying to take out of your life. 
At the very same time, some of you, you, you live this life as if you're the only one, and maybe this is a time when God is trying to bring people into your life, new people, but you keep pushing them away. Do you understand? You have to be in sync, in synchronicity with, with what God wants to do. There's a time to laugh and a time to cry. And we talked about last week how some people try to laugh their way through every season of life. You can't do that. It would be wonderful if every day of your life was going to be a party. It would be so wonderful. Actually, it wouldn't be, but we think it would be wonderful if we could just laugh our way through everything. But there are times, there are appointed times in your life when you're going to cry your eyes out. Your heart's going to break. You're going to mourn. You're going to lose things in your life, very dear things, very important people. And every single time you lose something, you've got to stop and mourn that and, and grieve that. It's just appointed. It's the purpose of life. It's what God has for you. You cannot refuse to grieve when it's time to grieve. You understand that? Have you ever seen anybody who tried not to grieve? They try not to cry when everything in their life says cry. You'll become so ill, you'll become so sick, you'll become so miserable. When it's time to cry, you have to cry. When things are being taken out of your life, you have to stop and grieve those things. You're some sort of, 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 of crazy person if you try to laugh when it's time to cry. But then at the very same time, there's going to come a point when it's time to dry your tears and get back to life. You can't cry forever. You can't mourn forever. Some of you have been through very important times of mourning, and some of you are in those times right now, and it seems like things will never be better. It, it feels like you'll never smile again, like you'll never be happy again. But I'm telling you, that's not true. God has not appointed your entire life for misery. Sooner or later, it's going to no longer be time to mourn and time to dance again. That means you can't be mourning through the times of your life when God says dance. Sooner or later, you've got to let the tears go. you just got to give it up. Oh, it's one of the hardest things in the world. Some of you have been through a very painful divorce. Some of you have been through very, very painful loss. You've buried children. You, you, you've buried your parents. You've buried your best friend. And the pain is so intense. The pain is so deep. And some days, it can be a year later, sometimes two years later, you wake up and it's like you're back at the funeral. It feels so fresh. It feels so raw. You feel like you'll never, ever have peace again. But, but you understand, you will have peace again. You're not supposed to mourn forever. You, you can't mourn forever. It is so hard so hard to let that pain go. Now, why is it? Why is it? Why do we cling to what hurts us? Why do we hang on to the pain? Because honestly, sometimes that pain, it, it feels like the last connection we have to that person. As long as I'm mourning, at least I'm still remembering, at least I'm still connected. But this is the point. You can't cling to that pain forever. Sooner or later, you've just got to let it go. There's a time to mourn, but then there's a time to dance. You can't be mourning when God says dance. There's a time to gather things in your life, to gather stones, the scripture says. 
a time to gather things. Maybe it's a time to accumulate wealth for you. Maybe it's a time to accumulate knowledge. And this is what the scripture says. There are times for that. But then there are times to give things away. You see, you can't go through your whole life gathering things for yourself. Sooner or later, it's going to be time to start giving it away. Did you understand? You can't hang on to what God says it's time to turn loose of. You can't laugh when God says cry. You can't cry when God says laugh. You can't mourn when God says dance. You can't dance when God says mourn. You can't cling to what God is trying to take away from you. You can't give up what God is trying to give you. You can't lay around peaceably when God says it's time to stand up and fight. There's a time for peace, but there is a time for war. You understand? So what's God doing in your life right now? It's not a question of what you're doing. That's not the point. That's not where meaning is found. You find meaning by asking, what, what's God have for me now? What's he doing in my life right now? This moment. When you understand that, you surrender to that. You submit to that. That's what your life's about right now. Notice what the preacher says. It's, it's stunning the way he puts opposites together. Verse 10, I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Y'all understand that? Because if you don't, I don't think I can explain it. But I really get that. I just really get that. I'm not depressed and I'm not, I'm not clouding up to rain on you, but I really sometimes feel that just burden of life. It just feels like a burden. If, if you don't understand that, I don't know how to explain it to you, but, but I get that. I really get that. It, it takes a tremendous amount of energy, a tremendous amount of strength. It takes a lot of guts just sometimes to keep rolling out of bed day after day. There's a, there's a burden to life, but, but notice what else. I've seen the burden God has placed on us all, verse 11, but God has made everything beautiful in its time. I mean, it's true, life is so, so burdening sometimes, or just break your heart, but the very same moment, it's, it's so beautiful. It's just always so beautiful. And an honest person, a spiritual person, has to be able to recognize both of those. It's, it's a beautiful burden to, to live, but it's such a gift. It's just such a gift. We are in the process of making appointments to get your directory church picture made. How many of you made your appointment? You got it? Because we need you. We need all your pictures. Um, I need to tell you something horrible about that picture. It's not taken yet. But I need to tell you something horrible about your church directory picture. And I'm serious. As your pastor, I've been here 16 years now, so I've planned a lot of funerals. And one of these days, we're going to sit and plan your funeral. And your family's going to be around the table, and the funeral director will say, do you have any recent pictures? You got, you got a good picture that we can put on the front of the funeral folder. Understand? He's looking for a funeral picture. And you know what your family will say first? No, we ain't got any good pictures of her. We don't have any good pictures of him. And then they'll say, no, wait, what? We've got that 
church directory picture. Okay, does that just not depress you beyond all belief? <laughs> that means that means you know it's it's altogether possible. Please continue to show up for your church directory picture. Because we may need a good picture for your funeral. Let that sink in. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old or young you are. And that church directory picture could very, very likely be on the front of your funeral folder. And you have no control or say in that. But it's healthy for you to keep that in mind. You need to keep that in mind. You have an appointment with death. And you will not be one minute late. It's impossible to understand that. I, I promise you that it is. We all think in our heads we know that, but we don't. I was involved with the Dyer family in, in planning Thelma's funeral. We were at a funeral home in Franklin. This is actually kind of cool. Uh, do you know that at the funeral home now, you can buy an Amish casket, which I think is cool. Amish made casket, and, and they're beautiful. They're made of wood. The one I saw was all the trees of Kentucky. So it had one board of every tree that's native to Kentucky. It was beautiful, just beautiful casket. And you can buy any, I'm not working for the Amish. I'm just telling you, I just think it's really cool. But you know the coolest thing? If you buy the Amish casket out of the showroom at the funeral home, the Amish will throw in a free rocking chair. Seriously. Seriously. Now, when I heard that, I, I didn't register it through my face, but I'm thinking through my head, well, what would you think? I'm thinking, I'm going to get that Amish casket, so I have me a rocking chair. <laughs> yeah, what's the, what's the flaw in my logic? Yeah, doesn't that stink? <laughs> I would never get to sit in that rocking chair. But still in my head, I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to get that casket and have me a rocking chair at home. Yeah, it, It's just impossible to wrap your head around the fact that your life won't last forever. You will not always be here. You understand that? Your family may choose the Amish casket, but your idiot brother-in-law will be sitting in your rocking chair. I'm telling you, somebody else will have your rocking chair. You do not, you do not live forever. It's as if somebody needs to stick their head in your life every now and then and scream three more minutes because you don't seem to understand how time runs out. It, it simply runs out. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Hebrews 9, 27. You know this verse, but you try to forget it. The old King James says here, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Yeah, it is appointed. Every single one of us has an appointment with death. This is not intended to depress you. Do you understand? This is intended to help you understand what your life's about. And one of the most critical things for you to understand is that you don't have all the time in the world. Time is your most valuable gift. 
You, you think that money's important, but understand, if you spend money, you can always get more. But if you spend time, you don't get more time. If you waste time, you don't get another minute. It's gone, gone forever, and your life is so quickly passing by, and you don't know how long your life is going to be anyway, but God knows. God's already determined that. Every single page in the story of your life is written in his book. It's his book, not yours. You understand? One more verse. This is kind of an odd one. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It's a description of a group of men, the sons of Issachar. But it's interesting what it says about them. Tribe of Issachar. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. Tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course to take. Yeah, again, the King James says they understood the time and what they should do. Simply. They, they understood the time and what they should do. You're thinking it's all random. You're thinking that things just happen. Book of Ecclesiastes wants you to understand things don't just happen. God is sovereign over time. God has determined what will happen. And God has a purpose for your life this very minute. I'm not talking about after college. I'm not talking about after the kids move, move out of the house. I'm talking about right now. There's a purpose for your life right this moment, this season, this appointed moment. What you must do is try to know what God has for you right now. Right now. And that's not hard. He wants you to know. So that just means ask him. Ask him, what does he have for you right now? You need to understand what time it is for you. You need to understand what God has for you to do right now. Because God has already appointed this time and a purpose for your life. Pray with me. Oh God, our times are in your hands. Our lives are in your hands. There is this illusion that we're in control of it. There's this illusion that we get to decide what we do with our everyday, Lord. Truly, we may decide, Lord, but, but that doesn't mean that you haven't appointed this day with a purpose for us. And our lives depend upon finding that purpose. Lord Jesus, for some in this house, they're trying to mourn when you are saying that it's time to dance. Lord, I pray that you would set those feet free to move. Lord, there's some in this house who are trying to laugh when truly in their lives right now they ought to be in tears or hearts should be broken. I pray, Lord, that you would break their hearts. 
Lord, for some in this house, they've been gathering, gathering things to themselves for a long time. When, when it's time now to start giving, it's time to start pouring into the lives of others, Lord. I pray that you would help them to stop clinging, Lord, to the things that you're trying to, to take from them and, and give to others, Lord. I pray that you would open, open, close, clenched hands. Lord, there are some in this room that are hanging on to a past that's gone. Lord, I pray that today they would discover what season it is now. That the path you're taking them into a, a better future, Lord. I just ask you, Lord, to speak to all of our hearts. <coughs> speak to us. Help us to understand that we don't have all the time in the world. We've only got this day, this present moment, actually, to get right with you, to make peace with you, to find out what your purpose is. We've only got this moment for this. Only guaranteed, Lord, this day to say that we're sorry, to, to say that we forgive, Lord, to say that we love, Lord, we've only got today. It's the only moment guaranteed, Lord, this one. Lord, whatever, whatever this moment in our lives is appointed for, help us, Lord. To find your purpose and live it. To live your purpose through every season of life that you give us. Our lives are short, Lord, but they are not without purpose. Show us, God, what our lives are for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.